0: Welcome to the ASHP Advantage podcast, engaging the experts on ASHP Official, featuring conversations with top-level practitioners about the latest issues in pharmacy and healthcare. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. Today's episode also is part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts, featuring conversations with top-level pharmacy practitioners and leaders. This episode is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare, and it focuses on considerations related to insourcing compounded sterile preparations. This podcast is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. My name is Angela Cassano, and I'm the president of Fusion Consulting, and I will be your host for this podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with Mr. Dom Bracero and Dr. Luis Pagan from Advent Health Orlando's Central Phil Pharmacy about their organization's journey to insourcing compounded sterile preparations and specifically their journey to insourcing perennial nutrition. Thanks for joining me, Dom and Luis.
1: Good morning, Angela.
2: Good morning.
0: So we're going to jump right in to discuss uh, the operations of your organization and your journey. So, Dom, would you please uh, briefly describe for our listeners what sterile compounding operations looked like for Advent Health at the start of this journey?
1: Angela, the division of Advent Health Orlando, which represented one large medical center along with seven smaller hospitals, in many instances operated as one unit with uh, smaller satellites. The same was true with sterile compounding operations. While most policies were common throughout the division, many of the procedures often varied in order to accommodate the variations in, in the facility's design, their patient casements, the staffing levels, and as a result, the facilities often outsourced compounding of parental nutrition preparations, uh, controlled substances, many ICU drips, and it was inconsistent as to which compounding pharmacies each facility used. And it was also a little bit inconsistent as to the practices that were done at each independent hospital.
0: Great. Thank you for explaining that for us. So can you please now walk me through the why? Why did your organization begin considering enforcing the CSPs?
1: The actual existence of this facility in large part is the answer to the vacuum that was created after the 2012 NECC incident. You know, our executives and pharmacy leaders quickly responding to making sterile compounding a top priority for our division. We could no longer afford the risk that uh, was presented by the lack of oversight and the lack of understanding at what level of qualities many of these pharmacies operated under. So a decision was made to uh, make safety, quality, and accountability a clear objective, and that we would distance ourselves from outsourcing pharmacies. So the team of executives and pharmacy leaders, we put together a team with the idea of centralizing many of pharmacy services into one center, namely distribution and sterile compounding. So this facility, as a result of those meetings, actually opened in 2014 with the primary uh, role of standardizing inventory by reducing SKUs, by optimizing inventory, by minimizing waste, and a major part the goal of the facility was to bring in batch compounding, anticipatory compounding of sterile products that would be high quality and be able to be shared amongst the division. So eventually, that led to the production, ultimately, of 19 different preparations. And the success of this sterile program was due to large part by bringing in the quality that is often uh, represented of manufacturing. We hired a, a QA manager st- from pharma to help develop the programs and oversee the, the standards within the, the the clean rooms. And it was a huge success financially and in terms of quality, but our success was short lived, short lived. For one reason, we we received further guidance from the state in terms of our scope of practice. And we also received guidance by 2016 from the FDA about the limit of the one mile radius of distribution within health systems. So that led to our an unfortunate decision to have to move away and transition away from batch anticipatory compounding and look for other opportunities. And so because of the the designs and the capacity that this facility had, we looked at other sterile products that could meet both the the needs of our patients and be within the scope of practice based on our license with the the state. And that's where we made the decision that nutritional support, uh, parental nutrition, was the right product category for us to pursue.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that history. And um, let's dive into more about how that decision was made and the factors that drove that pivot from the anticipatory batch compounding to um, parental nutrition and, and showed you that way would actually work and be feasible for your organization. So can you share some of the types of metrics that an organization needs to consider when building the business case for insourcing? Obviously, you somewhat built the business case twice, once for the anticipatory compounding side of things, and then again for the parental nutrition piece. So I imagine some of those metrics are similar, but if you want to just focus on the part where you needed to pivot, you can, you can focus on that.
1: Okay. Well, I think we started with developing and maintaining a program that man that required a a comprehensive assessment. You know, we we looked at this initial phase of the uh, assessment focus on the current state, capturing the volumes, the costs of the products that we were purchasing, both apparent costs and hidden costs, the terms of the contract. The alternative commercial products, if if any, were available, uh, namely some of those mix and hang kind of parental products that are available on the market. And those were then compared to the in-source model that we would uh, closely resemble. The model would need to include equipment, both purchase and lease, the solutions, the drugs or components, the supplies, distribution costs quality testing, and once live, the program would require ongoing performance metrics, like you've mentioned. And this was accomplished by looking at key performance indicators that would measure whether we were actually hitting our goals or not. And so these uh, KPI reports or scorecards, like we often call them, are used to communicate the success and the track, perform- and, track and trend the performance of the program. And so in that, in, in those reports, we're, we're actually capturing the savings, if any, the category of formulas that we are producing, custom versus standard formulas, central versus peripheral, two and one versus three and one formulas, and then QA data, you know, variations and percentages, comparing expected versus actual finished formulations the results of any ongoing testing of the formulas to, to show that the accuracy, the dependability of the devices and the techniques are delivering exactly what we had expected. We send uh, representative uh, samples of both our pediatric and adult formulations for testing and we, we report that as well. So then besides already, these already mentioned assessments, it's important to do a facility and personnel assessment. You know, is there a USP gap assessment that's been performed recently? You know, are, is your facilities clean room up to task? You know, it, what's the bio burden of that room? Will the current team require additional training? Is that the, even the right team? Uh, what kind of quality oversight will be needed in this new facility? And how do you report that out? Uh, do you have enough storage space for a large number of of uh, the large number of cases of base solutions which it you know, oftentimes requires you know a dedicated uh, warehouse Do you have enough refrigerated space? have you access or will you need to access your it readiness you know especially for the compounding suites it's going to need a boatload of data ports to connect to the compounding devices to the computers that drive the devices, and maybe uh, additional printers, and maybe even telephones. You know, do you have a means to communicate readily with your, with your cleanroom staff? So, metrics and assessments are fundamental for the success of the program.
0: Absolutely, and I thank you very. Nicely outlined the fact that this is not an overnight quick decision. There are a lot of data points. There are a lot of analyses that need to go into the success of this or really any implementation. And I think you highlighted a number of those very well for our listeners. So you've already alluded to the fact that one of the keys to your success was hiring the right people and really taking a look at this from a different angle. So I'm going to ask both of you, really, and perhaps Luis, since we've not heard from you quite yet, to to start us off with what were some other key elements uh, that ensured the success with implementation of this uh, perennial nutrition in
2: sourcing? Sure. So to start off with, one of the key elements was having the right equipment, making sure that the equipment that we were going to use to compound the uh, the TPNs were adequately already being uh, used in the market before. So equipment, the uh, selection of equipment was a big part uh, to how we were going to start the program. As well as the, the staff that you're going to have uh, under you played a big role. We already had a uh, very experienced man- uh, quality manager that helped us through, navigate, to a lot of our uh, procedures in order to complete uh, or start the, uh, the process of uh, sourcing the compound TPN.
0: And can you talk to me a little bit more about the choices that you made um, around standardization of the formulations for parental nutrition? I know that in talking with you previously that standardization and streamlining the process and what was actually in the TPNs. Was a huge undertaking with the, the with different stakeholders, and was a key to particularly to some of the cost savings, um, but also a key to the safety and the quality of the program.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> upon uh, we first before we first started, we started to review the uh, templates uh, that our providers had used in the past. Uh, we collaborated with different pharmacists in our health system. And we got together at least once a week, and during this meetings, we were trying to determine what ingredients were used for the uh, TPN uh, compound, the custom TPNs. And what we realized is that there were a lot of ingredients that were already available for a order-enter pharmacist to pick, but a lot of those were old practices, meaning there was training from previous providers that have been passed on to our uh, new providers and residents. So in reality, they, they didn't know when you asked, well, why do you use 10% amino acids and why do you use 16%? And the only option that answer that we got was, well, it depends on who the provider or what campus chooses. So we started realizing that, well, maybe we shouldn't have an option for 10% amino acids and 15%. So we cut down on one of them. Then we started looking at the other ingredients, for example, the high-cost ingredients, which is phosphates. Why do you use sodium phosphate? And what situations do you prefer to use in which not? And we realized was that the sodium phosphate, for example, is a very expensive ingredient, was pretty much used because it was available in the template. So what we did was we removed the sodium phosphate from being available in the template and put that as an atom uh, ingredient. So what that did was that it provided us for more uh, room for savings. And at that point, we were able to review the template on a weekly basis as well and determining what other ingredients we could take out. Then we realized that a lot of, of data has shown that sometimes the, the DPNs were either discontinued or were remade because the fact that some of the TPN formulations have insulin. And by having the insulin, what it did was that it created a lot of uh, inconvenience sometimes for the clinicians, whether their sugar levels went up or down, and they would have determined that they needed to bring the TPN down. So at that point, our leadership and our clinicians realized that probably having the insulin taken out of the uh, template or actually taking out the TPN was a best practice uh, for our providers.
0: Great. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think those are challenges that every organization faces, not only with parental nutrition, but with other uh, formulary line items and trying to work to standardize processes and um, concentrations. So, it is great to hear of a success because, again, not only does it streamline costs, but it improves uh, safety as well uh, when there's a more standardized process. So, can you go on to further explain to me, Louise, and uh, maybe even just provide us a list with the types of formulations that you compound for perennial nutrition?
2: Sure, definitely. So currently we compound the uh, first, the neonatal uh, TPNs. Uh, this is a more crucial, and they want the, the TPNs to take, I would consider a more careful approach when compounding. We also compound TPNs for Pediatric population as well, and the adult population. Um, those are the more uh, standard TPNs or customs, you may call it, that are adult use. In addition to that, we also have what we will call an in house formulation of TPNs. So if our patients meet the criteria for customs, then we comp- uh, the clinician decides that a custom TPN needs to be compound or order entry. However, sometimes this is the criteria that uh, in the hospital level some of our patients may be eligible for a standard TPN and what that does is having the standard uh, formulation is actually reduces the cost because we were able to kind of determine uh, which ingredients are again for cost and safety appropriate to be compounded and and of course all of this um, standard formulations for our TPns were Review by our leadership clinicians, and the information was passed down to other uh, providers as well. And so we got the approval uh, to utilize our in-house standards. So on a daily basis, we compound, again, neonatal TPNs, pediatric, adults for customs TPNs, and as well as adult standard TPNs.
0: Excellent. Thank you. You've provided so much information, both of you. Thank you so much. So in closing, Dom, what advice do you have for other organizations considering insourcing perennial nutrition?
1: Organizations that are considering insourcing, I firmly believe they shouldn't shy away simply because they know there are going to be challenges. Uh, It's hard work. It's not easy. And you have to be very patient. This is not a a quick uh, let's let's decide to make tpns and they start we can start next week this took months of planning and then months of of coordination with different committees with different departments legal supply chain for contract compliance it for uh, the security and the safety of the programs that are installed on our on our platforms but I can assure you that the rewards are multifaceted, both from the cost savings that are that that are uh, paramount, based on the investment that that's taken place, but the sheer strength and and, and rewards of being self-governed, of the quality that you can oversee and, and establish, because you determine the level of comfort of quality and risk that your organization uh is willing to 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 take part with. And then what does that mean for your staff? Your staff your staff now has a career path of a development that is not available if you don't have a good clean room, uh, a sterile uh, insourcing program. We have technicians who thrive on this, who've become uh, certified because of these programs. And so I wouldn't look back and I look forward to more opportunities in insourcing of compounding products. And I would suggest other organizations do the same.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey, both of you. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dom and Luis for joining us to discuss their experience with insourcing of CSPs. As a reminder, this podcast is also part of the ASHP Advantage podcast series, Engaging the Experts. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast channel as we will be posting more on lessons learned related to CSP insourcing. I am Angela Cassano, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for joining us for the ASHP Advantage podcast